again for being here. Thank you, Brother Tommy, for reading our scripture earlier. You may not know this, but Brother Tommy is a newly minted grandfather as of yesterday. Magnolia June Webster, born to Andrew and Jessica. She's 8 pounds, 12 ounces, 21 inches long. Born yesterday, yesterday afternoon sometime, right? Fantastic. So good. Well, if I haven't mentioned it, let me just tell you again how thankful I am that you are here uh, today. I always tell our guests how thankful we are to have them here, and, and certainly we are, but but I, I don't feel like I say often enough how thankful we are to have our regular attenders here, those of us who come together and worship together regularly. It's so important that we do that. It's so important that we come together and worship together and be encouraged together regularly. People tell me, you know, don't, don't worry. I know I hadn't been to church in a while, but, you know, I'm listening on the podcast <laughs> or, or I'm, uh, uh, you know, Steve Gaines or, or David Jeremiah or Matt Chandler. You know, those guys have been, uh, have been filling in nicely. And, and, and listen, I get it. If you can't get out, you know, if you're, if you're not able to be here for health reasons or something like that, or you have to travel for work or something like that, definitely uh, those are good ways, you know, preachers on TV and, and podcasts, those are, those are good ways to, you know, stay in the, in the Word when you can't be with God's people, but it's no replacement. You know, church worship, it's, it's not a program. It's not a, it's not a performance. It's it's a gathering. In fact, that's, that's what the original word for church means. It's, it's the Greek word ekklesia, and it, and it literally, literally means gathering. And so you can't have church without a gathering, and you can't, you can't really go to church without literally gathering with God's people, your brothers and, and your sisters in Christ. Now the question is, well, why? Why is it important that we, you know, gather together? Why was it important enough that God saw fit to, to include in uh, this priority in, in His instructions in the Word of God? Why does He tell us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together? And the answer to that is, well, we need each other. And I mean, we really need each other. We need encouragement, like we heard from Linda this morning. We need the conversations that we have each other to, to build each other up in Christ. Because the reality is, every one of us here has a problem. Every one of us, whether you've been in church for 60 years, or whether this is your first day in any church ever, we all have this problem. And the problem is this little, this little three-letter word, this little word called sin. Now, if you're a Christian, I know you're familiar with that word, okay? But more significantly, if you're a Christian, you're familiar with what that word does, what sin does. We know that sin is, is rebellion against God, and, and the, terrible, the terrible consequence of sin, because it's rebellion against God, is that the terrible consequence is that it distances us from God. God who loves us, and God who wants to know us, but, but God who can't have anything to do with sin. 
And again, this is a problem because every one of us has been there and every one of us, even those of us who have been Christians for years, every one of us still struggles with sin. That's why we need each other. Now don't get me wrong, if, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, praise God, your sin is forgiven. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But that doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with it. On the contrary, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, that's when you really begin to discover just how big of a sinner you are. That's when you really begin to discover just how desperately you need Jesus Christ to overcome your sin. How desperately you need God's people to, to encourage you and to hold you accountable for sin, the sin in your life that you discover along the way. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. That's so what I want us to do is we gather together. I want us to confront sin together. We're going we're gonna to think about the nature of sin. And then we're going to encourage each other through the Word of God to give our struggle with sin over to the one who has dealt sin its final blow. I want to give you three main insights about sin that we see in this passage that Brother Tommy just just read for us a moment ago. And then, and then toward the end, I want to I show you from right here in John 11 what God has done to overcome our sin. Okay, so first, the insights. Uh, sin is stubborn. Sin is selfish. But sin is, uh, is undone in Christ. Sin is stubborn. Sin is selfish. But praise God, sin is undone in Christ. First, Sin is stubborn. And man, do we ever see that stubbornness here? Just, just to remind you, okay, in case you, in case you weren't here last week, or if, if you, like me, have a, have a short memory, uh, what's just happened in the text is huge. Jesus is down at his, at his friend's house, okay? His friends Mary, Martha, and a man named Lazarus. And, and the reason he's there is because Lazarus has died. When I say died, I mean he died, okay? Four days now, he had been, he was dead. Uh, Jesus, Jesus didn't even make it to the funeral on time. Decomposition has already begun to, to take place. He was dead, okay? And, and what did Jesus do? I, I don't have time to go into the whole thing again, but you can read it for yourself. Very simply, he raised Lazarus from the dead, called his dead friend out by name and said with a loud voice come forth and, and Lazarus came forth he came out of the the grave he stepped out you know all wrapped up like a like a mummy probably but but not scary he was just himself imagine it was like uh guys can you can you get this off of me you know and so and so they did and, and he was just there he was he was alive with all these people who were there for his funeral Mourning is death. And then in verse 45 here in John 11, John tells us something that really is not very surprising when you consider all that. He says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. <laughs> we read that and we're like, well, no joke, right? I mean, if I, if I see a dude raise somebody from the dead, I guarantee you I'm going to believe, right? But you know, as much as I like to think that I would, you know, that I would be counted among this, 
this number here, that the evidence would be uh, compelling enough for me to believe, what I'm beginning to understand is that apart from the grace of God, I don't even think that kind of evidence would convince me. You see, one thing I know about my heart is, is that my heart will, will stubbornly hang on to a lie as long as it benefits me. I mean, I will stubbornly hang on to something that I'm completely wrong about as stubbornly as Dash the dog hangs on to a rope when we play tug-of-war, okay? And I know I'm not alone in that. That's, that's why we as, as human beings, that's why, that's why we keep chasing things. That's why we keep pursuing habits and addictions and relationships and people, quite frankly, that are terrible for us. Everybody around you sees it. Everybody who cares about you is telling you how terrible that person or how terrible that habit is for you. And in your heart, you know the truth of that. But you keep chasing it. You keep listening to the, to the liars, the, the foolish people around you who want nothing more than for you to go down the drain with them. And you do that because your heart is deceitful. But not just deceitful. It's also stubborn. So stubborn. Sin is so stubborn. And we see that stubbornness here. Look at verse 46. Again, these people... These men, more than likely, who had, had just witnessed Lazarus raised from the dead, witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, what do they do? They tell. Like elementary school tattletales, they, they go to Jesus' enemies and they, and they tell. Look at verse 46. Some of them believed, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Stubborn. Sin puts within us a stubborn refusal to believe, a stubborn refusal to pursue Jesus Christ, our only hope for salvation, and instead only pursue things that will fail us, things that will leave us wanting more. Sin is stubborn and and your heart my heart because it is sinful we are stubborn as well but that's not all not only is sin stubborn sin is also selfish look at verse 47 therefore the the chief priests and the pharisees convened a council and they were saying what are we doing for this man is performing many signs if we let him go on like this all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You hear the possessiveness there? Selfishness. Now, of course, that's the nature of sin. You know, we say sin is selfish, just like saying, hey, that elephant has big ears and a trunk. Of, of course it does. That's what what makes it an elephant, right? But, but, but what makes it sin? What makes it sin is that it's selfish. It's the nature of it. When I sin, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm elevating my desires over God for, the, for, the, for, for my benefit. That's, that's selfish. But, but here we see the selfishness of sin expressed in almost an unparalleled way 
in any other passage of, of Scripture. Look at, look at the reasoning of this religious leaders. Look at all these things that he's doing. He's performing many signs, they say. Now, please understand this, okay? These guys believed what Jesus was doing. It wasn't like they didn't believe. Uh, today you have people who just, who just don't believe. They don't believe the Bible is true. They, they think the miracles are exaggerated. And, uh, but that's not the case with these guys. They believed. They believed in every one of these works of Jesus. They, they knew that they were objectively true because they either saw it with their own eyes or they had their followers coming to tell them about what Jesus was doing. But they willingly pushed that knowledge down. They willingly ignored it. They, and, and they willingly ignored all the implications. You say, what do you mean the implications? Well, look, if Jesus could do all of these things, if Jesus could heal the sick, if he could make the lame to walk, if he, could, if he could make the blind to see, if Jesus could make the deaf to hear, if he could heal leprosy, if he could cast demons out of the insane, if he could feed 5,000 people with practically nothing and bring a dead man to life, well, friend, the only kind of person who can do that is the kind of person who, by the way, happens to also be God. And these guys knew that. They knew that more than anybody else at the time. They were the religious elite. They, they knew the prophecies. They had memorized practically the, the entire Old Testament, what we know today is the Old Testament. They, they knew what it meant for Jesus to do all of these things, but still they pushed it down in fear. Why? Because they were selfish. They were selfish. They knew that if Jesus were to continue, it would shake things up so much that the Romans would come in and everything would change. Now, for most people, it would change for the better. If Jesus is God, and if the Romans come in to shut things down, I mean, what hope do the Romans really have, right? If Jesus is God, if he's the Messiah that's come to set things right, if he's the Messiah who's come to, to make Jerusalem the capital of the world, as Isaiah promised, man, that means nothing but good things for those who love God. But they didn't love God. They loved themselves. And they loved the power that they had over the people, the power that was leased to them by the Romans for a price. And so they decided, they decided to kill Jesus because they were selfish. Look at verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. You see, it was stubborn selfishness that led to the death of Jesus. And the fact is, it's stubborn selfishness that's, that keeps people away from the freedom of knowing Jesus Christ today. 
We would rather do life on our own. We'd rather do life our way than to give our lives to a God who will bring us more joy than we ever thought possible, who will walk with us and strengthen us in the good times and the bad times, and who will love us like we've never been loved before. Sin keeps us from that because it is stubborn and it is selfish. And so here's what I'm gonna, I want to challenge you to do today. I'm going to ask you to turn from your stubbornness and to turn from your, your selfishness and instead turn to Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're thinking, well, why should I do that? And the answer to that is, as stubborn as sin is and as selfish as sin is, sin is absolutely undone in Christ. That's our third truth. Look at verse 51. We're told that Caiaphas did not say this on his own initiative. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that, that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And so from that day on, they planned together to kill and what John is saying here is that because of the high priest's position of importance in the covenant that God had with his people, he said something that he didn't really mean to say. It was a prophecy, but, but it wasn't one that, that was carried through him consciously. You see, old, old Caiaphas had, a, had, had no concept of a Messiah dying for the people. He was completely blind to that. He was completely blind to the scriptures, blind to the, he knew the prophecies, but he ignored the prophets who said that that was exactly what was going to take place. He was just blind. But the amazing thing about our God is that God can take us, even in our blindness, and he can do great things through us. For example, as you know, unfortunately, there have there have been times when pastors and, and church leaders do terrible things, unexcusable things. And any time something like that comes about or it comes out about a pastor or a Christian leader, you know, having some kind of moral failure, I always, always hear people say something like this. You know, that guy led me to, to faith in, in Jesus while he was doing all that stuff. Does that mean that my salvation is not real? And to that, I would say, of course not. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, all pastors are broken people, okay? This one included. We all fail from time to time. But, but even if there happens to be a pastor out there who is lost and who absolutely is, is rebelling against God, but in the course of his job leads you to faith in Jesus, hear me when I say this. He's not the one who saved you, okay? God saved you. And it could be that God used that pastor in the same way that he used Caiaphas here in John 11. God can use anybody or anything to accomplish his will. I, I, I'm reminded from time to time when I get too carried away with myself that God spoke through a donkey one time in his word. Amen? And that's what we need to understand. Sin is undone in Christ 
according to God's plan. This was God's deal. That's John's point here in verse 51 when he said that that Caiaphas prophesied uh, that that's exactly what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was going to die for the people. He was going to die for the the Jewish nation. And later on, after, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, Peter, one of the disciples, would be standing in the middle of the same temple complex. And he would say, men of Israel... Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This wasn't a surprise. Jesus didn't lose a first century political game. Yes, he died at the hands of godless men, but his death, as Peter says, was was the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This is God's deal. This was God's deal. Jesus going to the cross and dying for the sins of Israel and for the sins of the world, this was all part of God's plan. We have to understand that, okay? You have to understand that because until you understand that it was God who sent Jesus to the cross, you will never understand the depths of God's love for you. Because you see, not only is sin undone according to God's plan, sin is also undone by the death of God's Son. Listen, if you're a father, you... You know what I'm about to tell you. If I'm, I'm the father of, of three boys. And Jennifer and I, we try really hard to uh, prepare our guys for the road in front of them, not the road for our guys, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, we, don't, we don't schedule teachers' conferences for every little thing that happens at school. We, we try to give our, our teachers the benefit of the doubt. We try to give other kids the benefit of the doubt. But every now and then, Something happens at school, and, and I, I, again, I'm a dad. I feel, you know, before, before things kind of settle down, there's, there's a moment when I feel this primal, passionate urge to come to my child's defense. You know what I'm talking about? That feeling where you just want to bring the wrath down on somebody, you know? So I, I can understand how parents go there. Because that's a, that's a natural thing. Look, we, we're made in the image of God. Which means that even though we're sinful, we still have a touch of God in us, okay? And so you would be foolish to think that when this conversation was happening, this, this evil conversation about killing his son, you'd be crazy to think that even though God ordained this, you'd be crazy to think that God didn't also feel that same kind of wrath. But instead of bringing down his fist in anger on this insidious plot to kill his son, God didn't just allow it. God ordained it for us because of our sin. You see, according to God's law, In order for sin to truly be forgiven, something has to die. 
You say, well, why? And the answer to that is because justice has to be handed out somewhere. You see, our God is a God of justice, and for for our God to turn a blind eye to sin, that would be the height of evil. For him to turn a blind eye to our selfishness and our, our stubbornness, that would be a misrepresentation of his goodness. Our God is good, and because our God is good, and because he is also God, anything that's not good has to be dealt with. And the way God chose to deal with our sin was through the sacrifice of his son, the death of his son. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why the Father allowed and ordained this plan by this evil high priest. He did it so that, so that we, so that you and I, so that we would have an opportunity to know him, to experience his forgiveness and his grace. Sin, horrible, stubborn sin is undone in Christ according to God's plan by the death of God's Son. And then third, Sin is undone to gather God's people from everywhere. You see, we kind of come full circle. You see, the, the, the aspect of, of why God conquered sin the way he did, this aspect of it, it's often, often overlooked, especially in our stubbornly independent culture. In fact, I, I came really close to missing this application in my study you know, as I, as I always do, I, I, I prayerfully read through this passage three or four times. I asked the Lord to, uh, to show me what He wanted me to share with you. And it wasn't until the third or fourth time of doing that that, that I, I saw it. I completely overlooked it before, but, but finally I saw it. That little phrase, into one. Right there in verse 52 is, is John is, again, explaining Caiaphas' words. Take a look. We're, we're told Jesus was going to die for the sins of the nation. In other words, the nation of Israel. But in verse 52, John tells us, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And this is huge. Because, friend, this is what God is doing today. This is why we are here. This is why it is so important that, that you and I, that we show up here every week and get involved. This is what we are doing. We're gathering into one the children of God. That's why God planted Ellendale Baptist Church here 60 plus years ago. This is why we have churches all over the place in this city. This is why we support churches, not only in this city, but all over the world. This is why we do mission work and take up mission offerings. And this is why I'm challenging you, every single member of this church, to join us in loving God and loving others and making disciples who make disciples. That's why Jesus died. Yes, he died so that you and I could know God, but not just us. He died so that all nations, so that all people groups of the world could know God. He died so that your friends could know God, and your sons and daughters, and your nieces and nephews, and your grandchildren, and your in-laws. He died so that all God's children could be gathered to him in unity. This is the fulfillment of 
of the promise that God gave Abraham thousands of years before. That through him, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God is still blessing nations around the world through what Jesus did. And he will keep blessing nations until Jesus comes again. And friend, if we want to be a part of that, if we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, we have to recommit ourselves to this mission. We have to recommit ourselves to making disciples, followers of Jesus, who will be guided by the Bible, empowered by prayer, and engaged in community. Certainly among those that he puts into our path. But not just here. We need to have our hand in this all around the world. Because again, in order for that to happen, we all have to be involved. Every one of us has to have someone that we're teaching, someone that we're showing what it means to follow Jesus. Every one of us needs to get on mission making disciples who make disciples. I wonder, who has God put in your path? Your path. How does, how does God want to use you to gather his children? It's not a matter of if God wants to use you. And I know we all will do this in in different ways. Everybody has has a different testimony. But friend, if you are a follower of Jesus, I know he wants to use you. Won't you pray and ask God to give you someone to disciple, someone to introduce to the reality of Jesus Christ in your life, someone to lift out of the awful cesspool of sin? Again, it's why God put us here. And it's why we come together week after week. It's because sin is stubborn and sin is selfish and we need each other, but it's also because sin has been overcome in Jesus. According to God's plan, by the death of God's Son, and to gather God's people from everywhere. Friend, I wonder, are you... Are you gathered with God's people? I'm not asking if if you go to church. I mean, are you with God's people in a relationship with Him? Has Has there been a time in your life when you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sin? Have you entered into a relationship with the God who loves you? Listen, if you haven't, The good news is that you can absolutely do that today. You can. His invitation is always open. But when we come together as a family of God, man, what an incredible, what an incredible time to do that. Let me invite you, if you will, to to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Again, sin is a reality for all of us. The Apostle